Welcome to the very first episode of our new Blister podcast, Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. We decided to launch Gear 30 because we wanted to create a podcast that was all about diving deep into the details of the most interesting and innovative new gear out there. And our very first topic and guest are a perfect fit because there are few, if any, skiers who are more obsessed than Eric Hjorlifsson with finding new ways to make their gear work better. Furthermore, Dinafit is introducing today their new Hoji series of boots, so we talked to Hoji himself about this new boot and what makes it unique, where he would locate it among the current Dinafit and non-Dinafit boots on the market, the lengthy development process of this Hoji boot, and what's potentially still to come. These first episodes of Gear 30 are being brought to you by Marble Brewery, and this makes me very happy because I have been a huge fan of Marble for many years now, and they happen to make one of my favorite beers of all time, the Marble Double White Ale. But the other reason we're so happy to have Marble as our inaugural sponsor is because the idea of Blister was literally born at Marble on the 4th of July, 2010. One of my best friends from grad school, Mike Clark, was in town visiting for the 4th, so we headed to Marble because I'd been telling him about Double White. I don't honestly remember whether we were on our first or second pint of Double White, but as I was telling Mike about how screwed up and messed up the gear review industry was, Mike started insisting that I ought to start a review publication that did things different. And so it was on Independence Day while drinking Double White at Marble with one of my best friends that the idea for this independent review site was born. It wasn't much later that I'd settled on the name Blister, and the rest is history. And, as every single one of my friends will tell you, Marble Double White is still one of my favorite beers in the world. To learn more about Double White and all of Marble's other excellent beers, go to marblebrewery.com. So here's to good friends giving you good ideas while enjoying good beer, and here's to everything coming around full circle. Thanks, Marble, for helping us launch this next chapter of Blister. Now let's get to my conversation with our first Gear 30 guest, Eric Hjorlifsson. And for more details on this new Hoji boot, check out Sam Shaheen's write-up on blisterreview.com in the show notes to this podcast episode. Well, Eric, um, we are certainly happy to have you as the first official guest on this new Gear 30 podcast. Uh, so thanks for thanks for being the 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 founding guest, I guess we'd say. Well, uh, no, I could say thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor. Um, well, this is a we've got a good occasion um, as uh, as some people certainly already have heard and have been clamoring for information, um, I guess, on the last uh, conversation we recorded uh, on the blister podcast. I think it was episode 51 and 52 since we talked for a long time, but, uh, we talked a bit about the background of this new boot that we're going to be talking about today. So we should say that if people want some of the background on this project, it's that episode 52 of the blister podcast where, where you go into some detail about that. Uh, but today we get to talk about the actual boot. Uh, so I think I'd like to just have like get started by having you 
talk about this boot um, and say a bit about, you know, what is it and what is unique about it? <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> uh, less than three hours, let's say. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm um, obviously very, very excited about this. Um, it's been a, a lengthy and kind of interesting and exciting journey to get to this stage. But uh, yeah, as kind of we talked about in the past, um, kind of this this boots birth from my my end, my contribution just came out of really, you know, finding the limitations of let's say this the status quo of, of the the boots that I'd been using um for several years and really just little things that were irritating me performance wise usability um that i i just wanted to find i knew that it could be done differently so from the beginning it was kind of like let's just start let's start this in a new direction let's just uh deconstruct the boot and, and see what what's going on here what we're doing what why <laughs> why it's working the way it does and forget about you know the current system really and, and start over fresh hmm. so from the beginning this boot you know was had these design intents i wanted to improve the usability the user function and i wanted to improve the uphill skiing performance and the downhill performance all in the same, that was like the three targets and how do we accomplish that? Um, through my connections at Dinafit, I met Fritz. We got to go on a little ski trip together. I mentioned kind of the bases behind what I wanted to do. And he kindly invited me to his, his place, his, his house in Austria with his workshop where he had developed tech minings for 30 years and um he's like yeah let's uh you you want to make something why don't you just come stay at my place and let's let's figure it out let's make it and for me that was a real turning point because you know i had a a, a toolbox full of boot parts that i'd stolen off of everything i could find from any boot in the garbage to boots that i liked to old boots and whatever ski shops and uh this was finally how do how do I evolve into instead of just Frankensteining something together? Let's actually like build exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's exactly that's what we did. And how this boot works and how we achieved that ski performance improvement with walkability was we needed a way to. I was focused on how to lock the cuff with a solid connection to the lower shell because in all the, the ski touring boots in existence, it's generally some kind of pin, you know, in a, in a slot mm -hmm. or a, a, a lever with a, a hook that hooks onto a pin. So there's always some kind of tolerance. Like it's a stopping point, it's a linkage, but it never it doesn't start as a solid connection. There's play, there's slop, there's movement. So what, what we did and what, what the idea was, was basically driving the cuff into the shell with an internal 
um, interface. We call it the spoiler, and it has a rearward stop for back back motion of the cuff and and two forward stops that run uh, vertically along the sides of the cuff on the inside of the cuff, and those interact with the top of the shell. And as you close, it's all moving on a linear slide inside the cuff in a linear motion. And as you, it's it's operated with a, you know just a, a lever with a linkage, and as you slide this uh, these interfaces down into their ski position, they actually match up simultaneously, and with the, the mechanical advantage of the, the walk lever mechanism, you apply a preloaded force. So you're actually forcing everything together. Um, and that's what results in a connection between the cuff and the shell uh, with, with no kind of tolerance or play. Hmm. Um, and in my opinion, that's like one of the main performance um, compromises with walk mode. Yep. If if you're coming from an alpine background, you, there's something to be said of instantaneous, you know, fore and aft connection with your lower boot and your shell. As soon as there's even if it's a half degree of inclination and 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 slop and play, it's can drive you mad if you're used to <laughs> yeah. uh, the alternative, the alpine solution where the cuff doesn't have to articulate for walking, so it's it's forcefully fit on and in the race boot you know the stiffer boots it's bolted all together in the back but um what this also accomplished in a way is the the back of the boot now the the rear stopping point isn't actually fixed to the to the uh lower shell it's just pushing against it so now as as you flex forward the cuff is actually has some ability to articulate a little bit and you know we the the term progressive flex gets thrown out all over all the time but that's kind of the way you got to talk about it because now the cuff actually has has zero play and it's preloaded so it's a, a you know a, a suspension it, it has input in it into it already and then you apply force and it has a nice kind of damping effect and a return back to the initial uh, input. So um, I kind of compare, you know, use the, uh, everyone knows and loves or hates the Reikley Flexon uh, tongue, mm -hmm. which is came out the same year I was born and they're still making it, <laughs> which yep. says something. Yep. Um, but if you look at, if you dissect the Flexon or the Del Bellos, the rear the cuff of the boot isn't actually pinned to the shell and the input you're getting is from the deformation of that plastic tongue, that progressive, that smooth flex. And so in a way that's what I wanted to achieve with this design is that you're deforming the, the, the shell plastic and it's held together with the cuff, but the cuff isn't pinned to the back. So the point is to give you a nice, the user interface, this nice sort of progressive, let's say, feel. Yeah. Um, and then so the, the, the other benefit of this, obviously, is for the walking performance, you can imagine the complete opposite. So 
as you lift the lever and this linkage pulls the spoiler with these interfaces of the, the forward and rearward stoppers up directly linearly on the back of the cuff, suddenly you have a cuff that is rotating around the pivots of the boot with no, there's no rubbing, there's no, it's not sliding against anything, it's not hitting forward stopping points built into the cuff because those have all moved out of the way. So the goal was I want as much free range of ankle mobility, especially forward for walking up hills with skis or without skis, doesn't matter. Um, I want to be able to bend my ankle to the natural amount that I, I do when I'm just wearing hiking boots or shoes. And I don't want a bunch of resistance because a lot of the, the boots out there, the kind of more classic ski touring boots or, or more of the Alpine kind of genre of ski touring boots, you, the cuff only can rotate so far. And then all your forward ankle mobility comes from unbuckling the upper buckles and the power strap. And then you have to push those two flaps of plastic or the tongue and move everything forward. And there's a ton of relative motion and friction and energy loss, just trying to be able to bend your ankle forward to take a proper step. So that's something that we achieved is a a better, (laughs) a better way of doing it, I would say. <clears throat> wow. Okay. So oh, and wait, wait. There's a there's there's the final thing. Sorry. The third the third the icing. The it was the second step of the development was okay. We have this great linear motion in inside the cuff, the forward and back, the preload. Everything's nice. It's great. But what this gave us was the possibility to. Suddenly the the cuff, you don't need to open it right up to walk. You know, you don't need to undo everything because the cuff is rotating properly without friction. And what that allowed us to do is link both the upper buckle and the power strap to the inner spoiler that runs in this linear motion. And as you close the buckle and this the the spoiler runs down inside the cuff it's connected to the cables of the upper buckle and the power strap and that pulls the tension and essentially closes the cuff to the ski position and as you open it it gives you you know a centimeter or two of of slack release releases the tension of both of those cuff closures to a comfortable walking position let's say and that actually is Another thing of walking performance that I feel has a big advantage is suddenly now you have a cuff that's still, you know, relatively closed. It's not at a constricting level of, of high performance skiing. It's, it's loosened off, but it's not fully blown out and open. So what that does is gives you more sort of side hill and edge control in walk mode for skinning on, you know, firmer snow or boot packing around or whatever it is. Suddenly, your boot is still somewhat connected to your leg and giving you more lateral stability than if you open up all those upper, you know, the, the, the cuff closures completely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the final thing, and this is Fritz's absolute favorite is our motto became pants down always, because that was (laughs) something that just drives you crazy. Like ski touring is hard enough. 
You got to switch over your bindings, your skins. You got to get different gloves. You got to put your glasses on. You got to take a shot out of your flask. You got to take a picture with your phone. You got a million things to do on every, every step of the journey to transition. And so why, you know, take a page out of the Ron and A racers. It's one motion, boom, and you're gone. And that's no pulling your pants up, no dicking around, no power straps blowing in the breeze. So the, the, there's a small learning curve to this boot and that what I've been explaining to everyone is you, you put the boot on, it's all open, you step into it, you can do the, the lower two buckles however you like, and then I recommend right away is just close the walk lever and that puts the cuff into that ski position mm-hmm. and then you can adjust, you basically set your upper buckle and your power strap to what you would prefer for your skiing tension, nice and tight if that's what you like. And then you pull your pant, your powder cuff or whatever over that upper buckle and you open the walk lever. Everything loosens off and you walk to the trailhead or to the park from the parking lot to the lift or whatever it is. And as soon as you're at the top, whatever means got you there, you reach down, leave your pants down, and push that one lever down, and you're done. Um, pants down always. <laughs> that is that is definitely not the image I had when <laughs> you. I think yeah. So it's uh, maybe PCDA pant cuffs down always, um, uh, or or you've just invented the ultimate AT party boot. Oh, yeah. uh, it should maybe be the other way to go with that, but um, okay, that 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 shores things up because for a minute there, um, I was like, I don't know, I I spend a lot of time with my with my pants up. Turns out when I'm touring, <laughs> but maybe I'm doing it wrong. Just depends what part of your pants you're talking <laughs> That's right. about. That's right. Um, well, let's let's back up for just a second. I mean, my understanding is that um you know, there are, there's going to be some different iterations of this boot and maybe still a bit of tweaking on some of these designs, but let's start at a, at a pretty elemental level of like, um, well, so my understanding is that there is going to be a version called something like the Hoji Pro Tour. Yes, correct. There's from my understanding, there's the Hoji Pro Tour is going to be kind of the premium with uh, stiffer materials, more expensive fiber um, reinforced in the cuff and uh, grill mid lower. And, uh, you know, the custom plus liner, which is will be very similar to what's in the current Vulcan, kind of a, a quite a, a good moldable liner. That's what I've been skiing in for the last two years. Okay. Um, you know, kind of intuition-esque, not maybe not quite, but uh I I honestly have skied it every day for a couple of years and I, I find it quite, you know, acceptable for what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um and then there will be the Hoji PX, which is the, you know, it's a more cost effective lesser lesser cost uh less reinforced material should be a bit softer and it'll have just kind of more of their custom ready which is still a bit moldable but it's not as it's not the premium moldable liner let's say um and it'll be it'll it'll 
be at a, a better price point for you know that that user group um and then thirdly there is some um, sort of hoji limited edition version that will be coming out and that's where that's i'm shooting for that's my canvas to really play with materials here we have a, a little bit of time this season to, to maybe try a few different things and uh Obviously, for me, I would like to get that cuff, you know, because I'm coming out of a modified Vulcan with the ultra-rigid carbon composite cuff, which I know isn't, that's not, with with this boot, what we've developed, that was never the, the target. This is a classic ski touring boot, um, not a high-performance hybrid freeride boot. And But the Hoji Pro Limited Edition could be, one step to more towards that. And then obviously in the future, like Fritz and I are just calling this, this is just a platform. This is, we're, we're, get, we're releasing this in a category that really is, we'll see a wide user group and a good category for DinaFit. And uh, it, it's going to be a really good, I think, category for this to evolve on. And from there, I think there's a lot of potential and where we're really excited is taking this system, this mechanism and this new concept of how to design a boot and applying that to, yeah, obviously for me, I would like the, the kind of premium free ride touring boot. And I'm also really excited to play around in that kind of thousand gram, uh, you know, TLT style platform of, of a really weight conscious um, version. And it would be really cool, I think, to get a boot in that category that has finally has like really good skiing performance. And I think with this uh, mechanism, that, that was one of the, the other goals, obviously, is you can't, can't have a weight penalty involved. So through our hard work and <laughs> development, uh, we've basically achieved you know it there is no weight penalty on the system in fact it could be made lighter so um it's another benefit when you're working with a brand whose primary focus is ski touring <laughs> yeah so say say more about that though there is no weight penalty meaning for the ski walk interface uh, or or mechanism did, did mm-hmm. am i understanding you correctly here yeah, that's it's comparable to like the ultra lock or yep. whatever. Probably I haven't I haven't personally like stripped down what's on the Mistrale or such, but I, I would predict that they're all within that same. The components that make up the system are probably very very comparable. So, I mean, obviously, if you want to make something ski really well and you can put in a bunch <laughs> of beefy material and stuff, you you're going to have a weight penalty. So that, yep. that's been a big part of the focus is developing it with the uphill in mind as well. So, you know, we're, we have some, some real focus on, on how we would accomplish this without breaking, breaking the scales. <laughs> yeah. And so do you have anything like at least for now, a rough stated weight on either the Hoji Pro Tour or the Hoji PX, like what, just to give people a sense of what rough weight range we're, we're talking about here. 
Oh yes. Um, <laughs> are you just I about remember, to? Are you just about to make a number up? No, no. It's uh, at the twenty-seven point five sample size. The Hoji Pro Tour, I believe, is right around the fourteen hundred grams mark. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's not the lightest and it's not the heaviest, but it's a it for that classic. You know, I weighed it comparatively direct comparison to the new Mistrale, and they're almost identically the same weight in some freakish way. Wow. <laughs> but I was measuring, uh, I was weighing the 25s, which is my size, the 25 fives, but I'm sure it's scaled in the same because yep. those ones were, I think the 25s are closer to 12 something. If I, I can't, I can't remember the exact number, but there's a bit of weight savings, obviously, in just volume and material. Yeah. Damn, that's pretty light. I mean, that, at least in sort of thinking about some of the numbers of other, you know, of other boots in the category, that is on the lighter side of things. Um, so um, that's funny. That's that's the first time I've heard the weight. Um, I have to confirm that. <laughs> I have yeah, yeah. to confirm <clears throat> that. I, I, uh, it's been such a long journey that certain details slip my mind sure <laughs> and you know um what is the bsl let's see how good you are here speaking of details bsl on say either a 25.5 or a 27.5 um yeah what i the boot i'm holding in my hand which is a 25.5 from the best i can measure it is pretty much bang on 300. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a 27.5 is going to make it up, but something like a 316, 317? Yeah, let me actually... Let me check that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) One second. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was my brain fart mistake. The the 27.5 is 300. That's what I measured. I just measured my boot here and it's 280. Holy shit. Yeah, but it has the, uh, that's one of the the touring sort of features is this, their speed nose, they call it, which is a effort to get the pivot in, you know, the pivot point of that inner insert in the boot, the interface with the pins of the tech binding um, further back, closer to the actual, like where your toes are right under your toes, the end of your toes. So um, it's that obviously has some um, benefits for walking efficiency Okay, so so here's the actual the the Hoji Pro Tour is fourteen hundred and fifty grams in the size twenty seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was I was pretty close. You were pretty close. <laughs> um and my understanding, and again, like I think this might be bang on exact, um, but uh my understanding is that the stated last that is being associated with this with this boot is something like 103.5 millimeters. Yeah, um I think that sounds pretty correct. I mean, I'm a bit of a 
I've been negligent in that respect of uh, memorizing those numbers. I I I have a hard time with those numbers sometimes yeah. because you're just taking one point in the boot who knows exactly where that maybe right. there's I don't know what the formula is but yeah the last from what I know from wearing it and and trying it and and watching it kind of take shape there's been a lot of real effort put into um I I would say this boot has one of the nicest uh sort of toe box um sort of shape that that I've seen like it's just a very at least for my foot, it's a nice shape. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't pigeon toe you in. It doesn't, it has a lot ample height. Like I can, I can put it on and my toes are going to be warm and incredibly comfortable. And that's like this boot, you have to remember it is the classic ski touring category, like comfort and wearability for a long day walking five, six, 10,000 feet. Who knows how, yep. how strong you are. That's a big piece of the puzzle for the overall like performance and what this boot was designed to do. So it's not yep. an aggressive Alpine, super tight, low volume last, which for some people with, with, with low volume, tiny feet, that's really, they have no issues, but I mean, I can't even tell you how many people over the last, like, what is it? Five years, four or five years with the Vulcan have come yep. to me and said, man, I really, I tried it on. I would love that boot. I love what you're doing. I just can't even put it, you know, I can't leave it on my foot for more than three seconds. It's just so tight and low volume. So love it or hate it. That you, There's kind of the two groups of feet out there almost. I mean, there's everyone's foot's a lot different, but yeah, some real effort has been put into this one to, I think, make it more versatile for more people, for more feet and some effort has been put into like, you know, if, if you can have ankle retention, the instep buckle and, and it's sucking you into the heel pocket and you have that good ankle hold, heel hold. I mean, if, if the materials were strong enough, I've always, I've said that you could make a, a ski boot, like a flip flop, like you don't even need a toe on it really. Yep. If, if you could have a strong enough uh, structure, which is probably impossible because the, the, the structure of the toe box obviously gives the boot a ton of rigidity. Um, but yeah, I can, I mean, I've been skiing for 30, 32 plus years and I've never lost my toenails <laughs> because I put a focus on really sucking my, getting that good ankle heel lock and, and getting a good foot retention in, in the kind of the, the wrist of your foot is what I call it. Um, and I like to have ample room in my toes. So they're yep. not mat, they're not mashing into the front. Yeah, <laughs> of exactly. My boot. So, so talk, talk a little bit like to continue on this line, say a little bit about the kind of relative fit of this. Let's stick with the Hoji pro tour versus a Vulcan like let's say how how would you compare the heel pockets of the two boots in a similar size uh i mean i think i would almost equate it to i see people who are coming from that hoji style or sorry the vulcan style last 
Like I know a lot of guys, like even my buddy, Matty Richard, who's been helping me test the sample sizes and so on. He's always been on that, like, you know, he's in a 27, but he could with a ton of work be in a 26. And I, I really predict that in this new boot, he'll be in the 26 would fit him better. Yep. Um, so it's almost like a half size in a way. And a lot of people, I'm my other friend, uh, Andre, he's, you know, our feet are, he's just a little bit longer and he's always in the 26, but he can cram into my 25s. And I think for sure in this boot, he'll be in the 25. So it's, it's just kind of, you have to look at it that way, I guess, if you, if you know what you're doing and you, you know, your feet and, and kind of fit that you prefer, um, if you're on that that kind of bubble, you yep. might be you might be downsizing, which in the end is actually a good thing because you get a lighter boot, a shorter sole, better for walking, and so on. And most of the time, probably the cuff is going to be very similar height to what you were coming from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some you know, like this boot is meant. It's the touring philosophy of like you can just step into this boot. That's the goal. Is like. I don't want to see people. I saw people with Vulcans like on their hands and knees pulling the shell off of the liner and like blue in the face and just can't get it off, especially yeah. when it's cold. So for a ski touring boot, yes, if you're a high level free ride, you that you'll you'll accept that, I guess. But the average person, that's unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, this this boot has been designed with with those kind of performance uh you know categories in mind so it sounds like as a, so i mean two things from what you just said one the fiddle factor should be lower with this boot than the vulcan and and then two it sounds like from a fit point of view people might expect this to be a touch roomier than the vulcan yes yes i would say and like for me the vulcan i I personally like I would have to go to the boot shop here and hang out with my buddy and spend like every time I got a new pair, I'd have to spend a couple hours like punching out the toes, straightening the toe, punching out the forefoot on both sides. And really like it had such a pointy, narrow toe box that it, it I, I couldn't personally ski it in the, t I would have to, if I was a, a general consumer, I would probably have ended up in a 26. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a free rider and coming from a racing back background and wanting some level of performance you're used to and having the luxury of living in a ski town and knowing the guys at the shop and going in there, like you can put in the time. So um <laughs> did it, not did not everyone has that though you know like who, yeah. who goes out and buys a thousand dollar ski boot and then goes walks across to the other shop that does the boot fitting and brings it in and drops in with a whole bunch more cash so um you know like this this is something that was considered for the the development of this boot and i think ultimately was achieved in a, in a good way and like i said if with the way the instep buckle is designed, um, a lot of focus has been put into achieving that good kind of ankle retention and pushing your, getting your heel into the heel pocket um, to allow for, for good skiing performance. 
And I wanted to ask you about the buckles in particular, but is that then the primary element? I mean, in terms of the development of this boot, was the specific location of the buckles the primary thing that you've been spending time on? Or are there other elements of the buckles um, that are worth, you know, that should be noted or, or noteworthy? Yeah, I mean, there's actually, there's quite a few things I could get into here. Um, for years, I was using actually a Rakeley, I had a box of Rakeley um, buckles, the, the ratchet style ones from one of the ancient Flexons, not the original cable ones, but they actually made them with the plastic straps. And a buddy of mine was fanatical about these boots and he acquired a, a collection um and eventually he moved on to other boots and handed down a bunch of these buckles for me and i had been drilling them out and changing the pivot points because they had a really not no real mechanical advantage to close and a few other things but essentially i was skiing with with these buckles that were probably 20 plus years old using some i think they were burton snowboard straps that fit in them into the 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 ratchet um <laughs> and i just i really over the the vulcan buckle which is quite fiddly you got to micro adjust it you got to unclip the thing and the strap and just drove me crazy so i mean these ratchet buckles are nothing new they've been around for 20 plus years they're an industry standard you look on the in in this category they're everywhere but what they do is they allow for a really nice solid connection over that forefoot like it's a, a solid strap that goes from one side of the boot to the other so it's not like a buckle with a cable and all that so you get a, a nice distribution of the pressure over your instep and what i really like about them is they're instantaneously micro adjustable with one hand on the fly like this buckle my instep buckle i'm constantly okay i'm I start walking. Oh, it's a little bit too loose. I click, one click, one hand. Done. Uh, Perfect. Or, oh, it's one click or two clicks too tight. And you can just on the fly constantly adjust it. Oh, my heel's rubbing a little. Lock it down. Like it's just really, um, I think, the most usable, the easiest to use and quickest buckle. So I really fought hard to get that put on this boot. And it's, it's over the instep kind of in that position as the Vulcan uh, instep buckle was. And I think a lot of people in in this category, in the kind of ski touring hybrid category or classic ski touring, they really appreciate that middle instep buckle for the exact reasons I, I was just talking about because it's so crucial for walking and skiing performance. Hmm. Um, and then one, one more little detail, Fritz was actually really a big part of this is the two other buckles the actual levers have very simplistic self-locking these kind of spring clips uh made out of high density delrin super strong plastic and so they all these touring boots that have all these like safety catches and locks and it's just constantly opening one thing to open another thing to move one thing so these are really i think well executed where they're safely closed and they hold their position 
with tension or without it doesn't matter they don't rattle around and you can simply open them with one hand there's no in in, in one step so it's another it's just the the evolution of that you know making this user interface extremely smooth simple and enjoyable to use yep Mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask you about crampon compatibility Mm. <laughs> Let's, this is gear gear 30 man we get to we get oh, to yeah. talk about all the details oh yeah yeah well that's uh, a very good probably the number one question i get actually right off the hop is this uh, speed nose and the implications with certain things and crampons are definitely the one of the main topics um, I mean, Dinafit is launching a crampon system for this boot that's super low profile and based off of an interface that's added into the sole of the boot and a very simplistic, quick fixation method to step into the crampon. And apparently, I mean, I, I, I personally can't say because I've never used it. I've only seen it briefly a couple weeks ago, so I'm waiting to get some. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks to be a very elegant and simple and light and low profile and a tiny, like a, a, a really nice solution for ski mountaineering crampons. It's not an ice climbing crampon. What they're offering right now, the first one from what I understand is just a full aluminum front and back. Of course, obviously it wouldn't be probably too difficult to see a steel front in the future um to to make a a more a bit more beefy crampon of course Mm -hmm. um so yeah they've they have something in the works and that will be by by next season i'm sure with the real release of this boot there will be uh an available readily available crampon um solution okay Mm -hmm. Um, to back up a second before we get into some other comparisons and whatnot, but, uh, I know people are going to kill me if I don't try to pin you down on this a little bit. Um, stated range of motion for this boot. (laughs) Ooh, I got the little tech sheet here. It's helping me a lot. (laughs) Um, I mean, we, I, by the way, I, we just got done talking about in our buyer's guide that people ought to tread very carefully before getting too hung up on a stated range of motion number. Um, yeah. It, I mean, that's a whole nother very interesting conversation, I think, but it is, it is just simply stupid if you are like, well, this boot has an ROM of 45 and this other one has a 52. It's like stated range of motion versus real world range of motion is two those are two very different numbers you know so anyway that's my preface uh, to your to your answer no i i really get hung up on or i don't pay attention because i don't care um all i care is i put the boot on and i can bend my ankle all the way forward till the point of the joint stops bending naturally yeah and i want to get there with as little friction as possible any more than that i don't need any less is aggravating so (laughs) these guys have it at 55 degrees and 
what I will mention is a lot of effort has been really put in uh, into the forward range of motion because rearward, rearward, <laughs> rear, rear, <laughs> moving the cuff backwards is beneficial in some situations. And as long as you're past vertical, obviously to the point of like what your natural gait is, is, is really, I think what matters, especially for classic ski touring. Yes. If you're a run in a racer running, doing massive strides, gliding across 30 kilometers of flats, like a Nordic skier, rear having a bit more range of motion in the rear part of yeah. the cuff rotation probably is beneficial. I, I would say this boot has more than enough. Yeah. But where it shines is the forward. Yep. And and the freedom. And part of another little detail that I I could mention is just the the actual pivots of the cuff. Like a lot of effort was put into, and this is nothing new either. Like in the, it's something that's very common in in the run and a and the race side of things. But on this boot effort was put into properly actually aligning the pivots of the boot in as an axle vertically and horizontally. So, you know, you could imagine the pivots of the cuff are like a, a solid axle. So as the cuff is actually rotating, it's rotating freely. And it's not, if you look on most of these kind of boots in this category, the cuff pivots are in any orientation. They're pointed in and down and out. And there's been absolutely zero thought put into aligning them. That's not true for the, 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 the lightweight category of where people really care about that free range of motion. So I, I found it really interesting why, why no one's done that. But, uh, <laughs> so we just, we did it <laughs> and it, it allows for exactly the cuff. It allows for two things. It allows for a really nice free floating cuff for walking with, with less drag and less resistance. And it also, I think will greatly improve the durability of the boot itself. And these pivots are a huge area of concern for where there's all sorts of hop-up kits. There's all sorts of problems. People are constantly having to find T-nuts or repress their rivets. And I mean, I, my analogy is always think of your car and if the wheels are pointed in different directions, what's going to happen? We yeah. drive 10 miles down the road, the, the treads are going to be gone and the ball joints are going to be shot and everything's going to be working against itself. So putting these in alignment, now every time you're walking and you're flexing the boot, it's not working against itself. Um, and on top of that, we put in a really nice high-density, super solid uh, bushing that's actually keyed into the cuff because the cuff is is the abrasive material, especially in the versions with, um, you know, fiber reinforced plastic. That's like microscopic sandpaper. So if anything's moving against that, it's it's basically eroding away. So the these high density bushings are are locked in, and the rotation between the cuff. And the shell happens between the high density plastic of the bushing and the high density plastic of the shell. So it's a nice plastic on plastic uh, interface that should promote durability. Hmm. Oh, we could talk about so much more. <laughs> oh, we're not done yet. Um, uh, I want to talk. I want to talk about um, just on that durability. So Fritz, you know, he is 
he's such a great mentor and he's such a, he just has such a depth of experience developing product. And he has been the, the fundamental, you know, the drive for, okay, this is something completely new. We've got these cables internally routed. They're going, they're, he, he did the research on, on our original prototypes. We had pulleys, brass pulleys, that the cables uh, went around to reduce friction. And, you know, from his mechanical engineering standpoint, he's like, oh, pulley's always going to beat a high density sliding surface. Hmm. And instead of just saying that, he actually went to Ashheim to the binding headquarter with the pulleys, with the cables, with the plastic, and did a bunch, put them in the machine and did the analysis and actually proved himself wrong. Because when you get a a sliding surface made out of high density plastic in this configuration it actually follows the direction of the cable in a in a more accurate way you can provide a much larger radius for it to to go around and in the end it provides less friction and less force and less damage on the cables um on the subject of cables these cables are a lot of thought has been put into how these cables actually are uh, implemented in the boots. So unlike most cables, these cables are not actually fixed like with a rivet or anything in any orientation. They're, it's like a bike uh, brake cable with a, a, uh, a swaged on piece of steel, like a ball uh, on the each end of the cable. And that is held in uh, in a, in a, let's say a channel inside the boot. So these cables actually can rotate and find their natural position. They're not fixed in any, any sort of plane. And you can actually, there's room on that track for these cables to be, um, you know, if they get pushed on, there's actually, I think it's like probably 15 millimeters or even more of, of a channel. You can imagine the stopping block is in. So you can actually push the cables and they slide back into the boot and you can spin the cables and they kind of spin, they find their own home. So those are two of the things that really are hard on cables are bending, you know, kinking and unwinding against the uh, braids. So we put a lot of effort into minimalizing those opportunities for that kind of uh, stress applied to the cables. And on top of that, these cables, you can take them, swap them out of the boot with two screws. Um, they're fully serviceable. No spe- you know, all you need is a Torx 20 and you're done. So that's, that's Fritz. He's like, you know, we've done all the tests, we've done all this, but we don't actually like, we need it. We need some real, we need this boot out there in the world and lots of people skiing it. And if, okay, something we, something goes wrong now, you're not bringing the boot back to the shop and it has to sit there for two weeks and a guy's got to dremel out 20 rivets and blah, blah, blah. There's an opportunity to actually, you know, fix it quite quickly and easily. So I, I would say that's a highlight as well. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, but hopefully they don't break. <laughs> right, right. Mine, even... haven't, mine haven't broken. So hmm. I have many years and they were in a much rougher environment than what how they've actually been implemented in this boot. So I'm quite optimistic there. Hmm. Oh, one more little detail I forgot can add this in is that something that's really interesting and Fritz and I have um, made, you know, 
it clear that it had to be on this um, boot is that the linkage of the mechanism itself actually is threaded. It's a sleeve, a free spinning sleeve on a male thread. So initially you would look at it that and think, oh, is that a forward lean, um, you know, and a way to change the forward lean, but that's false. The, the correct reason for this is it's actually, as you shorten or lengthen this linkage, it increases or decreases the amount of preload that you're applying into the boot. So the, the longer it is, the harder, the more preload, everything. It's essentially, in a way, it could, you could say is tuning the flex a little bit. But the main reason for it is just, you know, we're dealing with plastics. This isn't steel machine parts with tolerances. Plastics are a whole nother beast. So much play, flex, distortion. So what this allows is as you're getting the boot or skiing it and it's breaking in and you, you notice, okay, hey, maybe it's this preload isn't as much as it was. Everything's kind of found its home and compressed a little. Um, you can actually tune that in and, and get the desired amount of preload. So it's, I, I would say it increases the, uh, the lifespan of the product and it also increases the user's ability to kind of adjust it in a micro way of adjusting the flex. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit more about like the testing and development process. Um, do you approach skiing differently when you're testing a prototype boot or is your testing process just go ski as hard as hell? Um, I mean, there's always, there's a gray area there. I mean, I think this is actually my favorite part. My two favorite parts of this boot journey, the number one, obviously is, is getting to meet and know and work alongside Fritz. It's just been fantastic. <laughs> hmm. And the, the number two favorite part is the actual true story of how hard and how long these, this new design has been tested. Like I went, I, on that a first trip with Fritz, I spent three weeks working every single day, you know, 12 to 15 hours a day, completing that first pair of prototypes. I didn't even complete them. I had one completed and the other one was still unassembled and more dremeling. <laughs> and I flew, back to Canada and straight into a forefront team film trip. And, uh, say QS Bankson from ski journal was here staying with me to write an article. And I was pulling all nighters just to get my, I was so excited. You know, I was like, I gotta get in these boots. I gotta start skiing the mic. It's just, it's killing me. And like, I was, didn't sleep for four days, let's say probably after jet lag and everything. And I'm trying to go out filming and blah, blah, blah. And I'm in these getting in, get into the boots and I go and I start skiing them and I'm so excited. And I think it was like the second day or something. I skied a nice little pillow line with like a 20 plus footer out the bottom with a, and kind of got into this waterfall slough and flattish landing blind, totally blind and just sheared both of them clack clack sheared the part I'd worked for three weeks, hundred, you know, however many hours. And I, you know, luckily it was soft and it wasn't, 
I was pushing it. Like I, it, in the ideal situation, if I wasn't doing my job as a pro athlete, it obviously wouldn't have just jumped in at that level. Yeah. Um, but in the end I turned out fine and it wasn't a, a hike. It was at the very bottom on out the bottom. Like I wasn't putting myself in a terrible situation. I was taking some risk, but I felt that it was um, acceptable amount of risk. And then I skied, skied back to the snowmobile and was almost, you know, I was too tired to cry. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just the beginning, you know, from there I went to that year was the light suit with sweet grass. And then I, obviously I couldn't ski in the boots. I had them in pieces and I was trying to figure it out and finished filming that spring and went back and started working with Fritz on the next, you know, I brought back the plastic pieces that we had milled and dremeled and bolted in there. And he did a, he did the geometry and the stress analysis and his calculations. And he's like, wow, that's the force that went through this to snap that material in this way. Um, well, we have to at least double what we thought we had to withstand here. And we developed a, a whole, the second generation of boot and this was this is the process like it went from it was three years of that um build something ski it till failure come back to europe hang out with fritz redo it build it better polish the design and finally the final version or final generation of the prototypes i i built them uh not last february but the february before because i'd been filming with matchstick uh for rose and ruin and at the end of that i snapped um i, I th those boots were already they were that was the second generation and they had been through hell and back and i was just i was every day re-putting them back together and so as soon as that was over, I went back to Fritz's and spent a month and we actually built a small series of four pairs. We built a pair for him finally, a pair for me, a pair, a sample size for the guys in Montebelluna. And I had enough components that I actually built a, uh, later on. It took me a long time once I got home, but I, I put together another pair of Vulcans for uh, Jennifer, my partner. <laughs> wow. And, and hers has... Hers has uh, pink buckles, of course, because <laughs> she hates she hates pink. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the final version was when we really. That's where we really like. I yeah, I had the CAD drawing, and Fritz took that, and like I have all the drawing. Like it's just such a wonderful story, personal journey for me. Like I just to finally we got it because the first few versions were just so ugly and horrendous and bolted together and the the final version of vulcan that i still have and skied in all last season um flawlessly is a thing of beauty in my mind and it's if you compare it side by side with this new hoji boot it's a they've done a very nice job you know industrializing what we created but it's a very comparable um, look and function. So, but the new Hoji boot is even a lot better. It functions a lot better. It has greater range of motion with the cuff pivots being aligned. 
it just the way everything the way the cables are routed like it there are huge they didn't just copy it they through another year and a half of collaborating with them i think the 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 final what what's coming out now the soji boot is is a very polished um product and the mechanism itself has had its proof of concept in if you watch my the matchstick athlete edit from Rose and Ruin and you watch this year's uh, drop everything all of that footage in those two films was shot skiing in the second and third generation of the Vulcan prototypes that Fritz and I uh, created hmm. so talk to me a little bit about how you would locate this Hoji boot among some other DinaFit offerings like the Vulcan, the Beast, and the TLT-7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I see... How, how I see it is that the TLT-style boot is really... That's an uphill boot. Yep. That's a... That's their most successful boot line in Europe, and it's gotten a big following here, and that's your fitness, you're going up, you still love skiing, you're probably going to be on pretty light skis, relatively light skis, definitely not like, you know, there are the exceptions, but the majority of that group is not on a 120 or 110 even um, width of ski. Yeah. And then right now you jump with those boots you mentioned you jump to the vulcan which is like the complete that's a ski tour free rider who wants to be able to get anywhere but he wants the high perform as high performance as possible he's willing to pay he's willing to sacrifice his feet and punch and all this stuff and and those are like the two ends of the spectrum I mean, I don't really know much about the beast. I just actually prefer not to even talk about that. Um, but the, I, I think there's a huge gap in between those two, the TLT style boot and the Vulcan style boot. And that's where I think this Hoji boot, and that was our target, is like the classic ski touring target. Like everything in between. Yes, this boot can go up really well and it's at a reasonable weight and yes this boot can ski down very well and like it'll hold its own in that category so i want to try and like i think that boot has a big a wide user group that's kind of a a void in in the current product line so that's that's kind of been what we're shooting for here yep so that addresses a bit about where this new boot falls on the DinaFit spectrum. What were some of the non-DinaFit boots that you guys have kind of had your eye on thinking we want to come in and, and be competitive with some of the combination of performance elements, you know, uphill performance, downhill performance. Um, what, what were some of the boots you were paying attention to? I mean, yeah, from... From the very beginning, I mean, for the guys at DinaFit, I can confidently say they the Mistrale is like been. That's like the they look at that boot and they're like, oh, 
<laughs> you know, it's just wildly successful. Yep. It's not it's not a super light touring boot. It's what I you know, it's a classic four buckle. It's got the ankle strap, it's got a tongue, it's skis quite well from what I can, you know, I don't have really any real experience in it, but I've been around enough people in it and walks quite well as well. So I would say that's like probably a really good comparison in, in category of boot. Um, I would almost look at the probably the Solomon Lab as mm-hmm. well, although they're missing that ankle buckle and they'll... <laughs> Uh, that's another story but um yeah i don't know from there where do i go i mean then you start getting into what else is there there's like the del bello lupo it's a little more downhill focused i would say than this boot um fiddly tongue and bigger you know not it doesn't appear that the sole is really like minimalized for comfort and walking and touring efficiency the inserts are quite forward um you got all the you got the technica zero g and lang and these really hybrid downhill you know hot boots right now but those boots aren't really that's not a real touring boot you're not i mean i've done days with guys in them and gone ran up uh, (laughs) mount baker or whatever and the guy was just a beast i was like how are you doing this but if you're gonna be dumb you better be tough uh no but uh yeah i i'm trying to think what another what would you from what i've mentioned here what is there anything i'm really missing I think, yeah, I mean, my understanding um, and our, one of our senior editors, Sam Shaheen, um, right, has has put his foot in this, uh, the new Hoji boot. Uh, and I know you hung out with Sam a bit uh, recently. Um, and he did our very big full review of the, the new Maestrale RS and his his early indication or sense was, yeah, this is, this is very much a Maestrale competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, given yeah, that, I get... oh, go ahead, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, um, you know, another boot that I am, I personally am going to be very curious to see. Um, I have been putting quite a bit of time in the Atomic Hawks Ultra 130. Um, and then another of our reviewers has been skiing the Atomic Hawks Ultra, I'm sorry, I should say Hawks Ultra XTD 130. Uh, and then another reviewer has been putting quite a bit of time in the XTD 120. And I'm going to be very interested to see where this boot, uh, kind of lines up among some of those. So, but I, I do kind of think that, uh, best guesses right now are that that Maestrale is probably the clearest uh competitor yeah it's also i I, sorry i I didn't mean to interrupt you there it brought me reminded me it's like uh sportiva's spectra Mm -hmm. um garmont or scott's uh what is it cosmos it's that kind of category i would say um but we're trying to the goal was better walking performance with a much quicker transition and a skiing performance with no play. So 
it's the same category, but we're trying to, to evolve. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, I think one of the things we haven't talked at all about, uh, because again, I think this can get overdone really quickly too, is sort of stated flex numbers, but it, it doesn't sound like you guys were trying to put out, I mean, this is a move that a boot company can make, right? Like we've made the burliest, stiffest flexing AT boot in existence. And that's not what I hear you saying. We've just talked for an hour and 10 minutes, actually quite a bit more than that, uh, <laughs> if you include our pre-conversation, but uh, it doesn't sound like you're talking a big game about super stiff and burly. Um, and I, I frankly think if this thing flexes as progressively as you are talking about I would take that progressive flex in a boot over like the stiffest boot that actually doesn't flex very well. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of, there's been a lot of debate of this in, in this category too, you know, like um, for the Europeans, Fritz is like, Oh, they're not even this classic ski tour. They've been in such bad boots with such bad skiing performance and slop and soft and, He's like, they're not, it's going to be hard for them just to adapt to something that actually has some downhill performance. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not, you're, you're right. Like, I mean, it's right now I see, you know, the real, like the Alpine crossovers, the Langs and Technicas. And I think I'm not super familiar with the Hawk, but I, I feel like it's in that same category. I believe it has a bit better uh, range of motion. From way, way better range, yeah. and it's yeah. way lighter. Yeah. So that's something I actually should start paying attention to a little bit more. Got to get out of the dungeon here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, we're trying to get to a good amount of flex and rigidity and support not the stiffest but yeah i mean it's like if for depending on what you're doing yes if you're straight lining moguls and trying to compete on the world tour or racing on peace like you need that super ultra stiff um boot to maintain control but these boots are hopefully going to be skiing powder Yep. And a lot of it and on skis that are a fraction of the weight, even if they're wide, you know, like my, my skis now are, they've taken a, a decent weight cut, a diet and I love it. And I, I, it's so much better for how I ski, but obviously compared to a ski that's two or 300 grams heavier on the hard pack charging, you're going to, there's some, there's some level of compromise there. So it's, it's trying to find that, like that middle ground, who are we trying to reach with this? And the classic ski tour doesn't necessarily need an Alpine race boot. There are the exceptions of course, but um, they'll benefit more from a proper flex that allows them to feel their skis and, and ski in variable snow and um, allows them to walk efficiently and get more skiing in. Yeah. At a, at a weight that's comfortable. Yep. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm excited to, you know, hopefully get the opportunity in the years to come to really 
take this design and push it even further into the downhill performance category and, and get into really that free ride hybrid uh, alpine and touring category because this boot is that it touches on it right it's i'm going to be skiing and i'm going to be filming in it it's it's got a good you know a level of performance that's i think going to be pretty darn good um but there is room to there's always room to tune that in and direct it towards one end of the spectrum or the other but i what i believe with this system is yes other than maybe some added weight with materials and stuff I don't really see, I think you can, I'll be able to have control of the system and tune it towards more of a free ride, hyper, super high performance downhill boot without really losing the range of motion in the walking. And for me, that's super important. I, I will not, I can't compromise the walkability because I ski tour all the time. That's the main way I ski. If it's lift access, sled access in a lodge, whatever it is, I'll take it. But I, I, refuse to show up to go skiing and be limited to where I can go and what I can do. Cause I can't, I can't comfortably walk and keep up and go where I want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's a, that's a choice, right? It is a choice. Um, but it also is a choice that is trending, I would say. Right. <clears throat> um, I think more and more people and more and more consumers buying boots, um, really do want that walkability. So, seems like uh yeah it's trending the right way if you can improve the interface like suddenly in this boot there's never uh, i predict i'll i will never hear coming out of someone's mouth oh i skied that in walk mode (laughs) (laughs) you know like it the walk mode other than yeah obviously having this uh, as much ankle free ankle mobility as possible actually uh, executing it in a way where it's clean and flawless and easy to use and unforgettable and sufficient enough like those alpine crossover boots half the people never even open them to walk mode or close them to ski mode because the difference it makes is almost zero (laughs) with this system if you don't close it you're you're uh i mean i ski them open all the time it's actually one of my favorite things on the right style of conditions, nice powder, you know, gentler terrain. I've skied more hippie pow turns with my cuffs, with the Hoji lock system completely open and absolutely no fore or aft support of the boot, only lateral support. And it lends itself to, I think, what is the the benefits of modern ski technology with rocker is that suddenly you can carve in the pow and have full control and have the best run of your life on gentle pow with zero input from the cuff of your boot fore or aft. And this actually, I think, is really teaches you, I love it because I find the center. I know exactly where I stand because I, I can't rely on the boot and I can ski laterally and have all the control I want. And I know, I think it just is, it teaches it's that muscle memory. So then even once my boots done up and I have all that, that support, especially in the rear, that's like your bunny hop, your Ollie, your, your stab, your ski tails into the ground when you're landing and push forward. Like it gives you so much power and control. So you, it kind of gives you that 
sensation of where you need to be. And then when you have that uh, added support, what it allows you to do. <laughs> I like that you introduced this like an hour and 20 minutes into this conversation, because this is like an entire conversation in its own right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, the, I'm the tangent man. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I can envision us uh, coming back to this topic someday. Um, but there you go, kids. Um, next time you're skiing hippie pow, unbuckle your boots. Uh, you don't know what I, you're missing. I promise. It takes a little while to get used to, but in the end, you'll be, uh, especially if you have nice fat rocker skis, it's uh, highly enjoyable. Hmm. Hmm. Um, we should get going. Uh, ironically, I I did want to talk to you about bindings a little and but we <laughs> we've had a long conversation or series of conversations today uh so maybe maybe we will kind of just um not go into the full conversation here because this could be another very long one but um having worked on ski boot design and ski design it sure seems like the next the next natural step would be bindings. Um, true or false, you and Fritz have ever had uh, one or two conversations about, let's say, a new tech binding? Uh, yeah, true. I would say two to three times a day we talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what no, I, that's what I suspected. It's a, it's a hot topic in... You know, like the trend we were just talking about of not wanting to, you know, sacrifice up or down and, and having the freedom to do what you want and having high performance in each end of the spectrum is there. And it's trending and it's trending because it's fun and it's awesome. And that's what I love about skiing is the freedom. Um, so, you know, we see we're seeing some really cool these kind of like I've been calling them like hybrid bindings in a way that bring to the table some more sort of of the alpine style of ski performance and releasability and and so on into the tech binding world so i think it's an exciting time we've seen some really cool stuff and i'm optimistic that it's just the beginning and we're gonna be we're gonna hit a tsn turning point in the future years where there's going to be some very very cool um, bindings in this category hmm. and it's exciting hmm. um, let's leave it at that for now um, we can we can do the bindings conversation uh, another time but um, uh, but I appreciate you breaking down uh, this new boot um, for us and um, yeah it's going to be it's it's super interesting and I mean hearing you talk about this boot as a kind of platform that can be tuned um, sort of up or down, as it were, uh, toward a kind of improved downhill performance or increased walkability. Um, so very interesting, and we're looking forward to putting some time on it. And um, yeah, um, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, been my pleasure. I mean, this has been a huge part of my life for just about four years. Yeah. And uh, I'm very excited. And like, I I can talk, I could talk about this all day. I'm just, I'm just holding my pair in my hand here, looking at everything. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'm, yeah, couldn't be more excited to, to really get it out there and and get it on people's uh, feet. And I really hope they they appreciate and enjoy it and it works for them. Well, very cool. Um, and always fun uh, talking gear with you. Um, so we're looking forward to see this thing come out in the world and uh, we're looking forward to putting more time in it. And um, yeah, I uh, hope the trajectory keeps going really well on all of this, but um, it's, it's always cool to see people who have been super passionate and committed to a product and project, uh, finally see that thing kind of come to light. So, um, yeah, that's got to feel good and, and congrats. No, yeah. Um, thank you. And it's, uh, always a pleasure to chat with you and I feel honored to be the first, uh, <laughs> the premier guest of, uh, gear 30 here and i predict that this won't be the only time i'll be chatting to you nerding out on uh, the equipment we love <laughs> yeah i think that's probably a safe assumption so mm-hmm. well eric thank you and um uh good luck with everything going forward and uh hopefully we'll talk again soon yes and even more hopefully we'll be meeting in person and skiing some pow together in these boots <laughs> there you go that that yes. sounds pretty good too i did by the way i i i just got word uh from my surgeon um he went over x-rays and he told me yesterday that uh he said he he suspected i would be um i would heal well from this but i he said i'm actually ahead of the program i'm i'm healing quicker than he had expected uh why I care about that is it means I'm going to be on snow quicker too. So, uh, very good news on that front. So yeah. Um, looking forward to skiing some pal. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. That's, uh, the best news of this whole day. So, uh, (laughs) I'm really glad to hear that. And I, uh, wish you, uh, that your recovery continues to go better than planned. Mm, Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) All right, sir. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye. That's it for this first episode of Gear 30. Thanks to Hoji for the conversation. And remember that you can find more details about the boot in the show notes to this podcast episode at blisterreview.com. Thanks also to our audio engineer, Justin Bob, and to Marble Brewery for sponsoring this episode, for having invented several years ago one of my favorite beers in the world, and for literally being the birthplace of Blister. For more information about Marble, go to marblebrewery.com. And now, I think I'm going to celebrate the completion of this episode by cracking open a double white right now. Talk to you all next week.